Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How's it going, friends? Welcome to Someone Who Isn't Me, episode 19. Now, it has been a minute since the last episode, but that episode with Dan Searle from Architects was such a a heavy one, an important one, that I thought it would be good to just let it sit for a while. And a lot of people discovered the podcast through that one, and they've since gone back and listened to a bunch of the other ones as well, and, and it seems that they've really enjoyed it, which is a beautiful thing. So it has been a minute, so I'm officially calling this season two. Um, And it's a really strong one to start with. It's with James Lavelle of Uncle. He's also the man that founded Moax, which was an incredible label. He started it when he was 18, which is actually nuts when I think about all the things that that label put out and all that it achieved. He played a key role in so much culture in the UK through, especially through like street art and also like street style like things like bathing ape and supreme and stussy and he played a key role in in the early days of all those brands here in the uk so we kind of touch on that a little bit but we also discuss the brand new album from uncle which comes out august 18th it's called the road part one it's amazing since we did this i actually got a copy of the cd and I like to listen to stuff in my car and it's testament to how great an album is and how much is going on with it if it just stays in the CD player and nothing else gets a look in for like a couple of weeks because all I'm listening to when I'm driving is that it's incredible it's a brilliant piece of work so we discuss a bit about that album we also talk a little bit about the documentary called The Man From Moax which I got a link to before doing the interview as well so Whilst I was listening to the album for the first few listens, I was then going back and watching the documentary as well. And so for me, they kind of ran in tandem and I was experiencing them both at the same time. And I kind of gave that as my viewpoint for the start of this, as you'll hear. But we talk about all these things and also how an artist that was predominantly known for being within the dance and electronica community transitioned over the years into the rock community through people like Ian Asprey and Josh Homme and Tom York and Chris Goss and Geordie White um, so we talk about all those things as well you know this is a guy that came into that world and ended up like he produced the last Queens of the Stone Age record and like Clockwork is my favorite album of theirs as well it took me a minute but again such an incredible piece of work so we discuss all those things uh it was an incredible afternoon hanging out with him we were recorded it and we were just surrounded by all these treasures like incredible paintings and sculptures and all these 
books and stuff all about this culture which is i find so exciting and is so vibrant um so yeah it was a brilliant afternoon i hope you enjoy this one i'm really chuffed with it and i know that he really enjoyed it as well so yeah this is james lavelle i got sent a stream of the album so the thing that i struggle with a little bit i understand the way things are now because you just can't send things out in advance mm. the way it is so that someone can drive around with it in their car and look yeah, at it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Twiggy texted me the same thing last night. Oh, really? He said, I love the album, but I really just want to listen to it in my car. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a funny thing. Like, I get it. I'm not... Well, the, the thing is for me is like it, it, it's clearly so dense. There's so much going on with it. But then I think that's the, the way everything is that you've done. Yeah. And like I've watched the documentary yeah. as well. But it almost feels like that they sit together. Yeah. Because with the way the album starts with the with the quote of yeah, you know yeah. this looking back at your life, I can't, I won't try, even try and quote it word yeah, for word. Because, uh, yeah, I can't even remember the exact words. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's saying that essentially you're looking back and this is the journey that you've travelled, yeah, right? Yeah, Which is where yeah. the album title comes from, I presume. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's so evocative, isn't it? Before I even listened to it you see the title it made me think okay is this that's obviously referencing a journey and, and I, I wasn't sure at what point of the I journey think I think we were at. it's a metaphor for different journeys so there's the past yeah and there's now and there's the future yeah and the road being this thing that you're kind of constantly on this journey through life hmm. but also it's this thing that the record and, and the way that a lot of the recordings are taken had, had been created were just being on this sort of finding yourselves in different places over a period of time and the, and that that then culminating into a record yeah you know so this record was recorded in venice in italy uh naples in italy somerset london la uh berlin and so those sort of and you know and then and also through that process was i'd split up with the last incarnation uncle which was very difficult and very soul destroying and I found myself very lost for a while and then how I started to re-engage my creative life and that there was a sort of backseat on doing uncle and I was working more with artists and doing sort of collaborations sort of weird music art collaborations and and I ended ended up in places like like uh, Cuba and you know and and uh, doing going to weird shows all over the world with these this sort of new group of people that I'd started working with and a lot of those people were in the Kubrick exhibition have now contributed artwork to the label and it was the road just came from this thing of yeah taking all these these experiences mm. and making that into something and 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 in a, in a kind of positive way making something out of that work and that journey but also the thing of it being this road that one's had and reflecting on the past and what music meant to you and yeah. where, where you've been and you know there's there was during this process there's been quite a lot of retrospective things that have gone on so you've got you've had meltdown you had um uh i did a moax exhibition at sarchi i did the moax book um i uh the documentary and so there was a lot of stuff dealing with the past and that was it was cathartic, but it was it was painful as well. It was good, it was bad, it was... You know, the documentary, I didn't direct it, I didn't produce it. I, I, I creatively supported it, and I wanted to make something... I wanted it to be, hopefully, something that was good. I didn't realise it was going to be so hardcore. Yeah, it's pretty unflinching. Yeah, and that was hard, but 
I took a view that we live in a world now where, you know, if you get a, a musician's documentary, it tends to be produced or directed by them, mm. and it's all nice and everything looks great. And actually, yeah. this has been part of the journey. I think there are, you know, the, the director, the producers have their agenda and they want to make it into this kind of good versus evil, big, you know, the highs, the lows, da da da. And there's a lot of stuff in there that I don't think was. Um, shown that I would have liked to have, but they didn't feel that that was the story they wanted to tell. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. and there's quite a few people in there. It gets a little. It, the, the the only thing that the one thing that I, annoys me a little bit is that they sort of paint this picture of me constantly not having long term relationships, mm. and yet there's about five or six really key people that there's not in the documentary that are interviewed that I've been friends with for. 25 years from day one or yeah. something like Ben Drury who's in it for two seconds who designed Moax who I've worked with since we were 18 or yeah. you know my best friend that work, helped work on this record that I've been friends since I was 14 but they came much more at it from the sort of DJ shadow angle yeah. you know um, but I let, I sort of just let it be what it was and I think that I, ha- I definitely have had a few freakouts about it and I have a very good manager who manages Nick Cave yeah, and and Brian is you know Brian Message who's you know he works with Radiohead and Nick and PJ Harvey and he said you know acts that have not always had the easiest journey and are not really acts that should be polished and they're, 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 the the thing about he was talking about Nick and saying look you know until I worked with Nick Nick didn't know anything about his business his career it was just this constant. Um, sort of snowball getting bigger and bigger and then we stopped and we're like you need to just look at these things and then how you build rebuild again and and in many ways he sort of compared I'm not comparing myself to Nick um, who I think is amazing and one of the greatest artists in in, in this country right now but I think he was saying that look you know at the end of the day like just show it try and be try and be okay to let it go out there and show people that you're, you have constantly tried and you know he's like I've done he said something funny like I've had three successes in my life and yet I've done I've put out I've managed you know a thousand artists hmm. they just happen to be great successes Nick Cave Radiohead and something else you know as a, yeah. as a and he's like you know I, I think that you know you've all you've tried to do is what the artists that I think are important have done which is you keep trying yeah. and pushing and it is difficult but it's it's not about showing it's not about being perfect because everything is perfect instagram is perfect every photo is perfect and there's no there's none of the 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 the, the, the dust the, the stuff that goes with it and actually that's the reality re- that's the reality you know yeah. um so i think that i've i've i, I let that go and i'm sort of I, I look at it as a kind of bookend to a period of my life you know yeah. unfortunately there are people in there that i fell out with there are people that i really love that i that, that i hurt and i think people have to remember that i was very very young when i did what i did the yeah. record industry was very different i wasn't particularly protected uh, I ran a record company and and, wanted, and was an artist, but wasn't. But I wasn't very understood, particularly. Mm. And in retrospect, now it's amazing that people can come and yeah, look at the toys and oh, Supreme and Bathing Ape and you know this world around the music and the artwork and everything. But at the time, it was you know there's a bit there's a there's an interesting quote 
from the, one of the enemy journalists at the time, Science Fiction, going, you know, I can't believe that the, the owner of the record label's made this album and it just feels so contrived. And you're like, you know, I look at now and it's like, well, Richard Russell's making records, yeah. you know, Kanye, everything. The way that the modern model of making records is very different. And I, I, I just think that there was, there was a time that I wasn't very understood and it had quite a detrimental effect to how I dealt with my childhood because I didn't really have a childhood. Yeah. I was 18 when I, when I had the yeah. Mowax. I'd been DJing before that. I was 21 when it all kicked off and I was 27 when it finished. You know, Moax. And, and, and then, you know, and, and, and also the record industry was this amazing place where, you know, you think about when we were kids, you were, you were, you would be at school and when you were like 14, they're like, okay, you're going to do work experience and you can either be working in the service industry or you can go be a lawyer or an accountant or, yeah. or if you're lucky, maybe you can go be an artist and go to the Ruskin or go to St. Martin's, but mm. a real Picasso painter, mm. you know, and, um, the idea of what I did was like was just not understood. But when you got into that world, it was like you'd gone into Alice in Wonderland, yeah. and it was like, here you go, here's a load of money, and you can do whatever you like. And guess what? We're going to encourage it. Yeah. And if you, you know, look at all this white powder, and look at all these sweets. You know, it's like the Adam's apple thing. And you take a bite of the apple, and twenty years later, you're sitting there going, "What the fuck was that about?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, it's an incredible thing, isn't it? I think that's, unfortunately, that, that seems to be the, the lot of somebody that's an innovator. Yeah. In a sense, because, I mean, you look back at all the achievements that you did and, and are continuing to do, and I think, you know, you were innovating on all those things. And I, and I think it's, it's interesting because it would be such a different... Or would it? I don't know whether it would be different if, if it was somebody of that age in the situation in this current world that we find ourselves in would we even be in that world if if people hadn't forged ahead with with all no, different aspects you of wouldn't it? because you know Kanye and Pharrell and all that what what I think who are the precursors who are the the modern the way that really this what I created I'm talking about the world outside of music yeah they got that from my community yeah. you know it came from them going to Japan and meeting ba Nico from Bathing Ape. Yeah, that's how that started for them. And I was a person that had worked with Nico for ten years before that. Yeah. Um, and but but I but it also existed when there was no internet. Of course. So you couldn't buy the stuff anywhere. You couldn't see it anywhere apart from if you opened the face or ID or you know or were hanging out in the clubs. Hmm. You know, and and also I think I think I think for me my journey. Yeah, you know I was. I came from acid house and hip hop. There was, you know, the rave culture. There was a drug culture, very hedonistic culture, and it was DJ culture. And that was my my that was the core of where everything came from. From discovering whether it was sneakers or t-shirts or girls, drugs, music, record, everything. That's that was the center point. Hmm. And I was very young, and I think that maybe if I'd maybe if I'd understood what I had. And if I had maybe be a little bit more patient and also not thrown myself so far into places, I would have had a, a different type of career. But then again, if I hadn't, I don't know if it would have happened. Yeah. Do you know course. what I mean? Yeah, no, I know. Because exactly people didn't mean. come to me. I went to them. Yeah. I wasn't the cool kid. Everybody now goes, oh, you were so cool. Then. It was like, 
I wasn't at the time. I wasn't the cool kid. I, I, I just I wanted to be. You know, there were, all, there were people around me that they were the cool ones. You know, um, the massive attacks and the you know the uh, Michael Copperman that ran Gimme Five that did Stussy or Ronin who were like the DJ. You know, the cool DJs or whatever. Um, I was ten years younger than them, hmm. and so I was sort of twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, trying to run this business, this situation where most of your friends your age, you've got a load of money, they don't. Um, you're not thinking about buying houses, you're thinking about buying things that related to you. So it was kind of sneakers and toys and, and, and pay, you know, street art and whatever. Um, but the industry didn't understand it. So when, when I was doing Mowax and I did Mowax Arts and we we're trying to do toy stuff, you know, it's all great now that it's brilliant now that you can do retrospectives and show stuff like that, but but not, nobody bought it. <laughs> you know? yeah. People weren't buying into that. They didn't really buy into it until Pharrell and Kanye started doing it. And at that point, I had kind of... Cleared the path. Cleared the path. And I'd also kind of... I had... I reacted against it. I didn't... I didn't you know, the thing is, I remember there was a point where things were going difficult for me. I lost my wax. That had a massive financial domino effect on my life. And I was privileged uh, for, a, for, a, for a five or six years where I did live an, a, a different life. And then the rug gets pulled under your feet and you're still having to uh, accommodate that life because you're, you know, when you've got a mortgage with all the things you've got to pay and the domino effect happens. And suddenly you're sort of going, I remember going to Japan and seeing Nigo and he had a, a, a platinum diamond chain and it was a million quid. And I just looked at it and I was like, I, I'm not part of this. Mm. And it's like, and that, and it all sort of went that way. And yeah. to me, it was like, I don't, I'm, this isn't my thing. I, 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 I don't, I wouldn't wear a million quid around my my neck, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then it's hard to explain. I don't mean it in that way. But do you know what I mean? No, like, I, no, it was exactly so bling, mean, and I'm like, this wasn't. I, I didn't. It wasn't bling for me. It was what we were doing when we started all that. Was it was a very teenage thing. We'd grown up on Star Wars. We'd grown up on, you know. Uh, hip hop, the Wild Bunch, Massive Attack, you know, Public Enemy, Def Jam, da da da, and we just wanted to do those things. Yeah. We wanted to do Stussy, so just just screen printing a T-shirt was like the most amazing thing ever. And then you do that, and then that would sell, and then you go, wouldn't it be amazing if we could make a toy? And it was in, because of Japan. It was like we met the best toy company, which was Medicom, and went in there and yeah. made toys. But you weren't thinking of it as an industry. It was just, it was in the same way that when I started doing Moax, a lot of the time, to be honest with you, the records I was doing was just to outdo my mates. Yeah. It was to go to Bar Rumba and play a record that Giles Peterson didn't have. Yeah. Or to tell my friend Will Bankhead that, you know, he'd be like, oh, did you hear that Richie Horton record? I'd be like, yeah, I'll get a remix. No, you won't. I was like, next week I'll be like, I've got a remix. You know, and it was just this office of nerdy kids just kind of like out, you know, trying, I just wanted to just try and do, the, try and, do the coolest shit and sort of, but it was it was really about them. That was my that was my world. There was no internet. There was no you couldn't. There was no stats. There was no like oh if you do that you're going to get this or, yeah. and it was very very sort of it was quite you know um, it was a lot of it you know I was eighteen so I was closer to my teen you know I was still a teenager yeah. you know so the references were very of that time you know and it was you know start yeah Star Wars and. And the Beastie Boys, and you know, and you know, Massive Attack, and Futura, and New York Graffiti, and all those things, and that's what I 
threw myself into but I was very young and I didn't really I, 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 I didn't really know how to manage it you know Oh, I don't think anyone knows how to manage anything at that age. No, to be fair. But I mean, I'm 27. When I was 27, it was funny because my ex, my daughter's mother, um, who I also met when I was 21, and she was 10 years older than me, and I had my daughter when I was 23, mm. and so and so she was 33 when she had her, or a bit bit younger. She was eight years older than me, so she was 31. It was a big difference, you know. And you're you're like at the height of everything. And, you know, and it was incredibly exciting and hedonistic and everything was coming together. And I think that club culture has changed quite a lot now, but club culture was the core of everything. It's where you socialise. You didn't, you know, it's everything to, you know, bar number on a Monday night or the blue note. That is where you you yeah. met everybody. That was, you know, you, you know, it was even, you know, half people didn't even have mobile phones half the time then. You know, it was yeah. all just starting to happen. And so you had to go to the club to hang out, you know, and that's where you'd see, hear the records and see the, 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 the fashion and everything. And, and, you know, but my, you know, she was older and she was like, had she done all that? So she was going to bed at 10 o'clock and you're starting to DJ at three in the morning. And, mm. and it all, it was just, everything was a bit off kilter. And I remember a couple of years ago, um, she said to me, oh, you know, ASAP Rocky is so great, he's so young. And I'm like, he's 28, I was finished, I, I was, it was all done by the time I was his age, everything had finished, you know. Um, I was like, fuck, I was young too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. Once, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, but also, I, you know, I, I, there are things that one has lost, and has, but there's a lot I've gained, and, and I, 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 I'm very. I'm also. I'm. I'm proud of what I was involved in, what I did, and I think more now. I definitely, sort of in my thirties, I kind of turned my back on a lot of the past. I really was just like, I don't want to deal with Moax. I don't want to deal with, you know, all the the, the street stuff so much. I did a, rec- a clothing label called Surrender. I got more sort of rock and roll inspired because everything that I'd sit, that I'd been involved with, I just saw suddenly feel, become this commercial entity it's like suddenly it's a you know chanel bear brick and uh you know yeah th- you know this per you know ba- but you know bathing apes collaborating with everything and you're like you know and you wanted a sense of your own identity your own world and so i kind of went off and and in many ways that was my sort of my journey with with meeting people like josh homie and stuff like that because that world suddenly was like okay that's somewhere i'm going into a new place where yeah I, they 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 understand where I'm at in my life, and and everybody else is over there. I'm, I've discovered something new, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I did, you know. That's when I did things like War Stories, and I um, did Surrender and Surrender. It was more of it. It was a kind of, in a weird way, it was my kind of my having to move away from that period. But then life comes, eventually comes full circle. Yeah. And I think right now. For me, I'm just in a place where I'm sort of learning to accept, understand. You know, I've done quite a lot of that journey over the last few years. Where where I'm at, what I've done, you know, I still fuck up all the time. I still have, you know, my certain demons and, and inflictions. But I feel I'm a lot more uh, I'm a lot more conscious about the positive things. Rather, I think that I spent a lot of time dealing with negative. Just focusing on those, things. yeah, yeah, and it became quite detrimental to my, to me, mentally and health-wise and, and and emotionally. But equally, I still 
through that, I met a whole other world. And so now, what's the interesting thing is now for me is that you know when I started working with Queens of Stone Age, everybody's like, I don't understand hmm. from my world. Yeah, you know. But then when I did science fiction, everybody was like, I don't understand. Or I did Never Neverland, like. Oh, it's an electronic record with it's an electronic record I, I, I don't understand Queens I don't understand now you know making toys I don't understand Supreme I don't understand I don't know whatever <laughs> obviously your court your friend you know, certain people did but the, 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 the overall sort of the industry the world that you were sort of putting it out to didn't and what's mad now is that if I hadn't taken those journeys yeah, of course. you know I wouldn't be where I am now and I you know I had my biggest ever record with Queens of Stone Age and then now Queens of Stone Age made a record with Mark Ronson. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I go out and I see, you know, I remember when I met Josh, it was just me, Josh, and Clemency and uh, Martina Topley Bird and a couple of other people. And now you go out and it's the XX and it's Florence and the Machine and, and they, they're all, you know, in that, the sort of Queens world. And you're like, yeah, wow, look. So it's all, the, it, what I'm trying to say is all the dots suddenly kind of connected. And I suppose I feel a little bit more like, oh, okay, actually, however that journey was and through the loss and the highs and the lows, it made sense. And it makes sense for me now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, yeah. How did you, how did you get into that whole, the, the whole kind of, because at that point it was still very much like, I guess, like the desert sessions kind of yeah. crew, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, with, with Chris and, yeah. and with, with Josh and, and with the other guys yeah. and, and now with, well, and with Geordie as well. Yeah. But how did how did Geordie get... was a bit out of that. Geordie was was Geordie had a relationship with Chris Goss. Yeah. So what happened was I was very I was I we you know at the tail end of Never Neverland I it was it was the the excess of hedonism fabric twelve hour DJ sets starting at six in the morning finishing at midday you know um, I was burnt out and I had been introduced to Ian Asprey. And it was funny because Ian, um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't grow up on those records and, um, you know, the cult, the cure, those types of bands. 
I, I, the, you know, we like the goths because if you'd ran out of puff or something and you needed some acid, you go and see them in Oxford or whatever. But we were the hip hop acid house kids, you know, yeah. and that tribal thing. Um, I knew I, I heard the records, but they weren't, you know, uh, they weren't. It wasn't a big inspiration for me as a as a teenager in that elitist teenager period. I somebody had asked me to meet Ian for a while, and I was like, oh, you know, I maybe I don't know, and and eventually. You know, he's like, come, you know, just go and have a drink and meet Ian. And I went and met him, and you know, he was head to toe in bathing ape, and his pre- amazing presence. Yeah. And I and but he 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 but in that sort of rock and roll LA look, and I was like, and we sat down and we just got on really well. And I wasn't in the best place, and he was sober and you know and been through hell and back real I mean you know I, I've not been to the places that certain people have been I haven't been that that uh, that fo- well I think it's all relative let's say but he'd been through hell and back and you know he um, he was just became this sort of enlightened character that I met who that we then decided he was like look come to LA I've got this idea uh, I'd met Josh by then um, and, and I'd you know I'd made I'd, I'd sort of worked with him um, on Never Neverland, and we'd become pretty tight. But Ian was like, "You really need to meet meet Chris Goss. I, I think that Chris will change your life. He's the most beautiful man. He's like a he's like a Buddha type of character, you know. Um, and he is kind of both physically and mentally. And I I was like, you know what? I I, I wanted to start making another record. I was really into the Queens of Stone Age rhythms. And I wanted to do something that kind of took my world with that kind of that style of drumming. And, um, you know, he'd produced Rated R. And I also, because he'd done Masters of Reality, which I discovered, I didn't realise, but he was the first rock band signed to Def Jam and had worked with Rick Rubin. And his best friends were the Dust Brothers, who did Paul's Boutique and, and, you know, Delicious Vinyl, Young MC. And... And so when I met him, I was a bit like, I don't know, I'll just go and meet this guy in LA, see what happens. Met him in a hotel. And he just started talking about Larry Levan and disco and uh, early hip-hop and being in the studio with, you know, the Duff Brothers and all that. And I'm like, what? This is a guy that does Queens. This is a guy that kind of invented desert rock, you mm-hmm. know. And, you know, but he wasn't from LA. He'd been from New York. So he'd done, dance, he'd done you know, all the classic New York clubs from the 70s, you know, and... Um, but was also really into, you know, he, he also, you know, with Masters of Reality, worked with Ginger Baker, and you know, he was, you know, well, you know, obsessed with the Beatles and da 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 da. And and I just sat there and I was like, oh my god, you know, like again, you know, we we ca- we came from these tribal environments, but actually, it's it's not the the individual that's creating what what you what you know. A lot of the individual you you might be into records that people don't think you are. The press would paint a picture of the yeah. divide. But actually, you know, you I'm, I was into Queens and da da da, and he's into disco and hip hop, you know, and 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 it became this amazing love affair. And we went in the studio. Uh, I said, Let, let's try something out. So I flew back. Uh, me and Rich went back out, and uh, and he, he said, well, the thing is, I'm working with this guy Twiggy. He wrote the Beautiful People with Manson, and I was like, he's like, do you mind if you if we do a session together? And I was like, okay. He's like, just sit down and listen to this record. Because I'd never listened to that record in a in a technical way. I just yeah. heard it on the radio on MTV. I'd seen it on MTV. Antichrist Superstar yeah. is an amazing album. Yeah, and I just suddenly was like, it was like, I got, when you listen to production, it's like, 
unbelievable, you know, and that was also my sort of more introduction to Trent Rosen's production and mm. stuff, which, you know, it's phenomenal. And I just was like, you know what, I'm going with the flow here, you know, and, and we got Ian Asprey, it was me, Ian Asprey, Twiggy, uh, this amazing drummer called Johnny, I think, I've forgotten this a while ago, it sounds bad, but I think it was Johnny, and um, Goss, me and Rich, and we went and we did Burn My Shadow, mm. and that was the beginning of of that going into that world and then I went back to London finished off the end of a load of touring or stuff that I had to do got even more burnt out and I was like Goss is like are you going to make a record with me or not and I'm like I'm packing my bags now I'm coming to LA I'm coming three months I went to Rancho in the desert and that's how I met Dave Catching and BOC uh, who played a lot with Eagles Death Metal Josh was going through pretty mad time when he was doing, you know, just pre-era Vulgaris. But amazing, you know, got him into a couple of sessions, so that's where, like, Restless came from and mm. Chemistry. And, you know, I, I ended up singing my first song, and that was a big deal because Goss was like, you know, man, you, you know, I was in the studio and we were in Rancho and we are messing around. It's, it's a house, so there's loads of rooms like a house, like a sort of bungalow-style desert house. And, you know, the kitchen's a live room and, you know the living rooms of the desk and then you've got the bedrooms everywhere is a room to record in and I was pissing around with with one of the with this engineer that we'd hired in the back and uh just with Dave catching and just started singing this song and and Chris just walked in and he's like stop 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 I was like what he goes got record this song I'm like uh he's like it's your record man it's your thing it doesn't matter what anybody thinks it doesn't matter how old you think you are you know, I was at my, you know, probably I was about thirty-one, I think. He's like, he's like, you have to do this because it's about you growing as an artist. He's like, it's all fucking theatre, man. It's opera. This is what making records is like. Stop trying to be so fucking cool and let go. And that was the beginning of a whole new journey in my life, you know. And that relationship with those guys, and um, and I think all of us were going through big changes in our lives. A lot of that was nocturnal stuff and coming to getting you know kind of reaching the plateau of how high you can go and how far you can fall emotionally and um there was just this amazing synergy with everybody we had you know the beginning of it was the high how high how high you can go Mm. and the end of it for for i know for like me boc goss i think josh you know josh ended up getting married then uh, Twiggy, it was literally like, okay, you know, we've gone pretty high here now. Like we're all changing, and, and most of the most of those guys are older than me. So that was a. But it, what it did was it created these very strong relationships because you'd gone through quite a a journey together. Yeah. And I also think that from me coming out there, they. Um, it wasn't expected it wasn't you know now it's like you know everybody goes on about the Arctic Monkeys being the first ones to go to Rancho they, they weren't you know like the people that, the person I think was most interesting is Martina out of Tricky yeah because she was way with those guys before well, anybody yeah because I remember going to see when Josh was over with Caius Ooh. and do you Martin, know Clemency Clemency and Martina would hang out and they'd be and yeah, they'd be so like there would be, of, there'd be yeah Sylvia Lee Hare yeah, and yeah, Martina yeah, and they yeah. would go to Caius yeah. and they you know they knew Josh yeah and they knew Hutch. Yeah. And, and Josh always, because we were talking about the other day, because I saw Josh the other day and with Clemency, and 
Clemency was like, yeah, because they just thought, oh my god, there's a there's a bunch of girls in the gig at the front, and yeah. and there's a black girl in the gig. What the hell is this? So they just suddenly stroke up, a, they, you know, that's where they got their relationship. And Josh would give them tickets, and that's how they met that whole world, yeah. you know. Um, but they were there very early on, right at the beginning, really. And, yeah. and I, but then because it was weird for me because I'd pretty much I'd signed Tricky to Moax, and then he walked off and went to Ireland. Yeah. Um, and so I was going to put out the record with Martina, but I never met Martina when she did Tricky. I met Martina with Clemency and Josh, yeah, which was really strange. But for me, she's like, what the hell are you doing here? I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? And that was the sort of end of... Uh, when, I, when I was meeting those guys, it was the end of um, Rated R, the beginning of Songs of the Deaf. So my first show that I went to was did you go to the LA2 show with Dave yeah. Grohl that was that's how I met him Yeah, and I basically had, me and Rich had heard a lost art of keeping a secret on the radio Radio 1 you know and sometimes you know just a record pops up and you're like what is that I really mm. like that so I went to HMV bought the album came back to Old Street put it on and we sat there and it came, come, comes on with, with uh, Feel Good Hit of the Summer and uh, we were like oh my God, this is amazing. Mm. Let's bootleg it now. And we did a remix that night. Yeah. And I and I heard through a friend of mine that um, Queens were doing this show. And I burnt a CD. And we I'd never met them. Went to the show, mm. and we're like, just you know, it's like a rock crowd. Nobody there. It's, you know, this is really before there was any. There's no A and R guys. There's no nobody celebrity. Nothing. It was just mm. like proper, you know, yeah. rock rock crowd. And. I, I'm about to leave. I'm like, I don't know how to meet him. I don't know, whatever. I've got the CD. And I get this tap on the shoulder. Hey, James. I'm like, Who? Brian Molko from Placebo. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, uh, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, we, we, you know, Queen's toured with us recently. Do you want to meet them? And I was like, yep. <laughs> and I met Josh and, and Lanigan. And uh, Lanigan was, again, this is funny, because Lanigan was a massive Moax uncle, massive attack fan. You know, and so when, you know, I, I, you know, Brian's like, just leave me five minutes, I'll go and see if they want to meet you, whatever. I'm like, they ain't going to give a fuck about us. And they're like, so they're like, yeah, come back. Yeah, we love Uncle, da 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 da. It's like, oh, I did this remix. And they're like, yeah, we're off to Glastonbury. We're playing Glastonbury. And I'm like, they're like, oh, we'll listen to it. And then I I put my telephone number on it. And the next day I get this, hey man, it's Josh. Yeah, 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 I love the remix. We played it at Glastonbury. He's <laughs> like, let's go for dinner, and then that's and we went for dinner, and that's how it all started, and and you know, and then this journey, and and I ending up sort of for me on the last album doing like clockwork, and you know, so but having these weird parallels to this new album, having this real this world of what I'd been involved with here and growing up with here, mm. and then this sort of thing that that happened in LA and, and these worlds colliding and sort of going back to what we're talking about originally is sort of how now it's all it's all just all woven into one yeah all fused you know yeah yeah, yeah 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 it's an interesting one like because obviously you're an amazing curator and collaborative artist do you know do you know when you you hear other people's work that Aside from having like, oh, it'd be great to work with this person. Do you, do you know who you're going to be able to? It's, uh, it's a, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is making music, yeah. and art, yeah, 
is a magical thing, yeah. right? Yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. Yeah. Yeah, if, I think, yeah. you know, if you can affect somebody on an emotional level and change their thought pattern and from from just them seeing just, something to have, or hearing Just to change one person's life and something positive. Even if they say they hate it, but they want to change it, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. So, you know, it both, goes both ways, you know. Yes. How do you... Are you literally just going, oh, I'm just going to... As you said, just I'm going to randomly hit this person up. But do you know that there's going to be those connections? Some, it, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it'll be random. But the journey only works if that journey is together. And yeah. you just... It's, it's, it's a question you get asked a lot. It's like, how do you meet these people? It's like, how do you meet your friends? Yeah. I don't know. You just con- you connect. But do you feel like almost as if you're... And this sounds really hippie, but do you feel almost as if that those things are you were meant to meet this? Yeah, I, I find I think that most of the really key moments in what you do, and it doesn't work out all the time, hmm. are spiritual journeys. Yeah, and you know, Josh talks very wonderfully in the documentary, very funny, and he's one of the, the things that I love about the documentary. And he's just you know he's talking about that journey and how we were there for each other at a time when you needed to be there you needed to have that kind of relationship yeah. you know um, and some of those re- relationships happen at a period of time and they exist in that period of time yeah. and some of those things go on for there that's the journey you have through life you know and, and but it's I, you know I've worked with a lot of people that I haven't continued to have relationships with yeah. not not for anything negative you know but most of the stuff that I've done that really um has been at the core of what I've done are actually our relationships that have been tested over the period of time. That's why I get a little bit annoyed at the documentary about them saying that it doesn't because actually, you know, I've worked with Josh for 16 years now, you know, mm. you know, and Goss and Asprey and people for, for longer. But, but I think that it is also just this thing of, it's an emotional thing. I mean, you're going to gravitate towards each other because of the art that you create, okay? Yeah. That's the first thing if you haven't met somebody before, you know. Um, so you, I can hear a record and go, as as we, this is what music does. You go, that's talking to me. I feel that, and also because I make records where I'm not really, I'm not the, you know, the predominant lyric lyricist on a record. Your those records, are, you're trying to get a singer to represent how you feel. Yeah, it's a weird, strange thing. Yeah, interpret you know, things tonally and, and ideas. You know, like science fiction. Those songs, me, they're like the songs that I wanted. If you know, that's what I wanted to be able to say in a weird way. It's a strange thing, you know. And so you're you are working with people that are saying things or believe in the way that you believe in stuff, you know. And that is about what they're talking about, what their emotional connections are, and um, those and those the journeys that really stick are the, those journeys with the people that you really connect on that level you know yeah. and it's it's way more than just music it's about what you are as a human being you yeah. know and how you then channel that through music or video or art yeah. it's not just about music with with what i i like to do you know yeah, you know course. this 7 year journey between records has also been about me rediscover you know re me meeting and creating a whole new artistic when I talk about artistic and maybe more in the painting visual visual arts, visual arts world mm. you know and this you know from meeting people like Jonas Berger who's doing the front cover and John Isaacs and David Nicholson and Doug Foster um that has been part of it as well mm. you know and and for me I think that community is really important 
you know a lot of people ask me um i did an exhibition in leeds recently and there was a graffiti artist and a toy maker and they're like you know how you know how do we do it and i'm like you just you really the the, the most fundamental thing like i said you've just got to build a community yeah you all share and collaborate in your work and create your own identity can't guarantee it but hopefully things will grow that's to me how things grow yeah you know we're in a very very isolated world in the way that community works right now i think it's funny isn't it because it, you would think on the surface of it we're in, in a better situation than ever before yeah but it's not but it just it just seems like everybody's so fragmented in the sense that it's You're too it's, worried about it's everything all, there's not enough time and, there's not yeah. enough time there's too much negativity social mm. media i mean it's I've had my share, but even I saw today Ed Sheeran's turn us quick. I, you know, I just looking at my newsfeed, but I'm not the biggest. I'm not. It's not in my world. But you think, God, you know what it must be like when you have, I don't know, 10 million followers on a, an account to wake up every day and see. A, I mean, yeah. I deal with it. With my kid, you know, my 20 year old daughter. They're so concerned about every daily part of their image mm. you know everything you know if I take a picture of her she'll get really annoyed because she's got to make sure it's the, the only picture you keep is the one she likes you know because if somebody else sees it oh. you know it's I, like <laughs> and, 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 and we spend hours going through all these these processes I don't actually do social media we have I have social media with what we do as, a, as projects and mm. connecting with information but um, I've never done Facebook I've never done that stuff and and that's partly because I've just, I don't know, I've got a little bit of a lazy old school attitude about, I just didn't get my head into it at the time. And now I've actually never done it. And actually so many of my contemporaries, but actually a lot of the young kids that I work with now are sort of disengaging themselves from that type of social media. Because, you know, one of my, one of, one of my um, Ben Drury's son was at college and he's like, he came to stay with me recently. He's Ben's my designer and his son's a great photographer. And, um, I'm like, oh, you've, you don't have an iPhone? He's like, yeah, I, I got rid of a smartphone. I'm like, why? He's like, because I can't do any work. Because every time, all I see is pictures of everything I want to do. And I can't yeah. feel like I can do anything on my, that's individual, you know. Mm. And then you think about, you know, I did, I did about 200 records of Moax before the internet, you know. And I've never done that since. Yeah. So there's something weird. I mean, they do say since, since the sort of industrial revolution, like productivity has gone down, not human creative productivity has gone down not not up i think that like you say yeah we it should be just this amazing world and amazing way of connecting with people but we seem unfortunately as humans to not make it better for ourselves you know yeah there's too much distraction like yeah. this is another thing i think when you're working when you well no i was going to say like when you're working in a visual sense or when you're working and creating in a musical sense do you do you find that you only have so much focus because as somebody that makes visual art and I make music as well I don't know whether it's just because I have an obsessive personality in the sense that I if I, if I start like I started painting again that's it's almost like blinkers come on yeah I, I go through I, I'm, I'm sort of half and half yeah um I'm very obsessive and then but then I'm very and I can be very dysfunctional about anything practical hmm. um, but I seemingly from my from the career that I've had I'm sometimes I don't think I'm necess- I think maybe it's my comfort zone I don't know if I'm at my best because I would love to just be able to stop sometimes and just focus on one thing but it seems like when I've got a lot going on is when I'm at my best 
but it, it isn't necessarily the best always the best quality quality of life to be honest with you yeah. you know it, and and it hasn't always brought me the most you know i'm never i'm not very good at focusing always focusing at one thing mm. and maybe if i just done an uncle or just done my wax or, or given myself that time mm. time is a you know retrospective is a great thing but yeah. but things might have been different you know i look at somebody like richard russell who i work with on excel and you know it was building XL, then building the new generation and now I'm going to go and do my career. The thing is when when I started, I was so young you could never th- you couldn't even think about getting to that point. Yeah. It was only about ne- the, tomorrow, you know, or that day, you know. It was, of course. Yeah. You couldn't see about, you know, somebody say the record won't be out in 6 months, you'd be like what? I, 6 months that's, that's an age that's away. A, that's like yeah. way miles years away for me, you know. Um so I think I think I'm trying to get better at that and but I am I'm and I and I go through waves of, you know, I I I'm, I I go up very up and down, and but when I'm up, it's it tends to be when I'm it's I'm I love to collaborate, and so when I'm in an environment where I can, where I feel that I'm working with people that just really excite me, and that can be from really across the board situations, I I adore it. I, I like I'm enjoying doing this interview, and I you know it's great to be able to talk like this, you know, and so this is exciting. Whereas if I'm doing, you know, but if I'm sort of going through the same old thing constantly, that's when I, I'm not, that's not, that's when I get stuck. Yeah, you start to switch off on things. I'm, I'm the same. I, I totally get that. But I'm not very good at being on my own, and I'm not very good at sort of just constantly and necessarily immersing myself just on my own into something. I, I, I do it with certain things, or like if I get, you know, you have those moments where it's like, okay, I've got to do. I've got to put a collection of records together or something, and you just get in that zone. Yeah, I can do that, but I'm very, I'm very easily distracted, and and I think I'm used to being easily distracted. You know, because I was running a record label, I had, you know, you're doing all these different things, and I still, you know, I'm not a typical musician. I'm not a typical anything, and I don't mean that in any sort of like, wow, I'm amazing way. I mean it in like, I'm just, I'm sort of, I'm good at doing putting lots of things together and maybe not good at doing the simple yeah. focus things you know do you find when when you're working on things whether it is on a more visual level or whether it's more uh, well I think for me it doesn't seem like there is so much distinction for you it because everything seems quite seamless like a lot of the music is so cinematic or and I mean that in the best way I don't mm. mean that to sound like no no but and um, well, I mean, for example, with the album that's coming out, there's the, what is it, thirty, thirty-page booklet that's yeah, coming with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it just seems like everything runs hand in hand. But to and me, it kind of—it's not trying to be like make. It's not. I'm not trying to make something where I'm trying to be like over the top. It's just that it doesn't. It doesn't exist to me if those things don't exist together. Yeah. I don't want to put a record out with with a front cover and that's it doesn't make sense to me Mm. Uh, you know to me it was about building universes and record labels and great great bands you know I was constantly you know being Chris I used to remember getting so criticised for the idea of how you know when I was doing my works of these sort of ideas that one had but I was like but every you know or you know this sort of idea of oh you know well it's 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 music visuals and fashion and da 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 that's so cheesy it's like well wait a minute all the great things to me were you know whether it was hip hop yeah. Whether you look back or and any movement, any creative movement, there was a movement, and it was never just about. No, it was a microcosm of all these things. Things, you know, and it wasn't just about. 
okay, just the painter or just the musician. You know, mm. hip hop was about the dancers, the clothes, the the politics, the music, the sampling, the records, everything. You know, yeah. and and I don't think that was I don't think that's dissimilar in any movement, whether it's rock and roll, whether it's being a goth, whether it's being into acid house, whether you know. Um, and I feel that for me, identity and creative identity and, cr- and working in that way is essential to to what I do and the basis of it is music but out of that comes video photographs artwork and to me every great record has that identity mm. and that whether it's Blue Lines to Sgt Pepper to you know Queens of the Stone Age what, you know as examples whether it's the Beastie Boys Def Jam Warp yeah. you know Blue Note you know, whatever, you know, the list goes on. James Brown, whatever, that was, they created worlds. Yeah. And when you, rec- when, you, when you bought their records, you bought their world. And yeah. those worlds were, you know, you know hip-hop records, were, it was incredibly important to buy the album and read the credits. Because you read the thank yous and you'd think, oh, well, who's going to come next? Hmm. Who are they hanging out with? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, exactly, I know, you know exactly All that you stuff, you know. I found so many great artists through that. Yeah. And, and and I think that's something that gets lost now because I think, for, unfortunately, with digital media, um, there's, there are great positive sides of it. But the downside of it is that you go on Apple or you go on Spotify, you don't know who's done a cover, who's recorded it, who's engineered it, who's produced it, who's played on it, nothing. Mm. You know, really. Everybody is collaborators, unless you are the one genius musician that does everything. And there's not many of those. Yeah, they're not really. Well, Prince died. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 equally, they also make a lot of crap when they're like that at times. Not to say that I haven't as well. I've made a lot, but but I mean it in the sense that you can't. It's like you build a house. You know, you do need a plumber a lot of the time. You do need a something to lay the floor or lay the foundation or mm-hmm. build the roof most of the time. You know, yeah. and I think music and art is like that. It's not just about the one individual. It's about the culture that goes around it. And I yeah. want to show that world with what I'm doing. I love that. I, 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 this seven year period, like I said, has been about putting all that together, whether it's the collaborators on the record, whether it's the, from both the past and the present and the future, to the artists that are cr- creating all the visual elements, to the people that you, you, you um, perform with, the teams of people that you work with that help you release the record everything is about that community and what is really exciting for me now is that it's like I've got you know a, a great relationships from the past but there's this whole new world of new people or new relationships that have worked from the last sort of seven years onwards that it's really exciting to to feel like I feel actually like I'm back to the beginning hmm. and I feel a, a little bit like for the first time in in, in, in in a long, long time, it feels like this, the energy that I had when I was doing my wax in that way. You know, working with people like Elliot Power and Mink and um, Keaton Henson and, you know, and, yeah. you know, and Esker. And then you've got the relationships in America where you've got something like Lanigan, you know, and putting that all together and having that energy where there's the sort of OG energy and then there's this young... And, and I'm learning, you know, and I think that... In your life, you can go through periods of, you know, the beginning was all naive and learning and everything's new, and then you go through your kind of like, I know everything, fuck off period. And then you suddenly sit there and go, oh, wow. You know, what? where am I going? I'm 43. I don't... I feel like I, there's so many things in my life I haven't done. Hmm. 
I I want to I'm going to look at where am I where am I where am I going to be <laughs> in ten years time what what am I going to take the lessons I'm going to learn and I need to be inspired I need to learn again you know because it's all changed yeah. seven years it's kind of I look at it as the Facebook period and since that to now you're like it's all changed so putting this record out is you know I'm thinking oh you can do this and that that's how it works it's like it ain't like that anymore <laughs> you know so I'm learning a lot but with this great bunch of people that I work with especially these sort of these younger kids that I'm working with you know like George who's co-designed the record with me you know they're sort of 24 25 26 years old and they grew up they grew up with them they discovered my records whether it's Elliot's mum used to go to Bar Rumba you know or you know um, George going to design you know going to art school but being into street art and they and they they, you know suddenly this group of kids are like they know more about me than I do (laughs) you know but they also see it in their way and it's about sort of engaging in that way and this sort of new community and for me that's what it's always been about it's about this about community so when you know the one of the reasons I didn't do you know a new record for a long time is I didn't feel I had a community anymore that community had ended yeah. And I needed to re-find, you know, build a new commune, you know, <laughs> creative commune. Amazing. That's a great point. To... Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, man. No, pleasure. Really great. Thank you. Cool. Thanks for checking out episode 19 of Someone Who Isn't Me. Um, cheers to James Lavelle uh, for an amazing afternoon. It was like I've said it before. The thing I love about doing this podcast is that I get to sit and have conversations with people whose work I really respect and admire. And it's just wicked to hang out and do that. Um, and I hope you all enjoy listening to them as well. We had a great afternoon hanging. As I said, just to be surrounded by all these incredible pieces of art was super inspiring as well. It's wonderful now that we're kind of texting each other about artists that I think he should check out and maybe would work to collaborate with and putting people in contact with him. That's super exciting as well and really gratifying. So, yeah, so thanks to him. Also, thanks to Emma for sorting this one out again. If you could leave a review if you enjoyed the episode, um, five stars is a beautiful thing. Do that on iTunes. Spread the word. Let everyone know. Remember the new Uncle album, The Road Part 1, comes out August 18th on Songs for the Deaf. It's a great record and it's going to be very beautifully packaged as well, so it's well worth checking out. The documentary, The Man from Moax, is... uh, I'm not actually sure when it's coming out, but um, it was a good watch, if a little bleak at times, as we discussed. But thank you once again. I'm 